Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights, talking about grading quotas. I've been hearing about that in some of the podcasts I've listened to, and I know what I think that means, but it may mean something different to you. So thanks, sponsors, Tops Panini, Upper Deck, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication, CompC.com, Burbank Sports Cards, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Heritage Auctions, and Huggins and Scott Auctions. So back in the late 1990s, when BGS, the grading service that our company started, was being contemplated and shaped and formed, we had a lot of meetings. We internally batted around some serious questions that we want to be very thoughtful and how we jumped into that category. Time has, has proven that uh, we made a lot of right decisions, but it's not a no-brainer. So here were some of the things we discussed, and I think they relate in some sense to the quota discussion. So these are the questions. We were wondering, is there an ideal distribution, a normal distribution of grades of the cards? Should we or would we be grading on the curve as some professors do, some teachers do? And what frequency of error might be tolerable? How many cards per hour can an expert grader accomplish and get through? How many cards would we need to take in each month to be profitable? I believe all these questions are somewhat related. So quota to me, the first thought I had about quota was on the sales quota, on the submission quota of how many cards we got in in a month at BGS. We thought about that at first. I think I may have been the holdout. We're going to build the best mousetrap and people are going to find our mousetrap and use it. But PSA was an entrenched competitor. So we did start out great and we got a lot of business. But to get to the higher level of business, it was determined that we really need to get out on the road and establish a budget, a goal, a quota. How many cards do we need to bring in to keep our people busy and to break even and in fact make money? And so Pepper Hastings went out on the road. Philip Amen went out as well at the shows and, and getting around and talked to some of the key bulk submitters and big submitters. Eventually, all the all these grading companies have remote offices and bulk submitters, but it's all toward having the quota of we need to have this many cards come in each month and we can't expect them at least in those days, for them to be just mailed in without marketing and promotion and getting out there and selling. Number two, this is the one that I think some people are having heartburn about, and that's what I'm calling a 10 quota. Is there a quota of 10s that you have to have not too many or not too few 10s in a submission, in a month, in a in a year, whatever you would think? I used to be a professor. What would you call a professor who never gives out A's? That professor is either going to be a full professor with tenure and a national reputation or a former professor. Because if you don't give out A's, there will be more than murmurs. There will be a lot of complaints that it's not fair. Because the thought is that if you have 20 or 30 people in the class, at least the best student, at least somebody deserves an A. And yet the professor may say, I've taught this course for many years. I know what an A looks like. None of the students really showed an A-level understanding of the material. And so the best grade was a B plus, perhaps. So in cards, <laughs> if you get 100 cards in, it may be that there's no 10s or there's a bunch of 10s. So it shouldn't be surprising, as, as one who was involved in the beginning on this, that if you take an expert grader, uh, especially someone that has a lot of experience grading, a, a former grader, I believe there are people out there who can pre-grade cards with an extremely high degree of accuracy. And actually, some of them know this is what PSA would grade, this is what SGC, this is what BGS. But there are people with expert eyes and experience to know what something's in grade. So if you had three different submitters and each submitted 10 cards to the same service, let's not pick on any one, but to a certain service, and, and each one of those submitters, those three submitters, is thinking, hey, these are all 10s. 
But the first submitter gets only one 10 back and the others are nines. And the second one gets five tens and five nines. And he's still upset. He thought they were all tens. And the third one gets all tens back. Okay, what would you conclude? Now, let's even assume it's the same professional grader that graded all 30 cards. I'm not going to assume that the third submitter knew the grader. I'm not going to assume that the first person had a vendetta against him. I'm going to assume that most people overgrade their own cards. Each of these submitters had a different ability to pre-grade those cards. So the entrepreneur instinct in me is that if I have these three submitters, I'm going to contact the third submitter and offer him a job because apparently this person is able to nail what is a 10. And I had one to hire as a grader. You can't always do that, but it shows somebody understands the grading process. And the overriding principle for the 10, there is no 10 quota that makes no sense. You can't get away with that. It won't work. It's not wise because the principle is that a card is what it is. And what the hobby has recognized over time has meant as, as mint or gem mint or excellent. It really hasn't changed that much. So when somebody looks up at a, a card, is, is it pristine? Is it mint? Is it gem mint? And there's a number that's associated with that. If you try to establish a, a numerical quota of so many tens or so many nines in an order, that is a recipe for problems in your grading. It, the grade has to be standalone. This is the grade. Another thing that we talked about for quota was the speed quota. There's some thought that the best graders go the fastest. That's can be true, but all things are not always equal. Sometimes the best graders, we had the least output, the least quota of output they had during the day. And it's because they got some of the tougher cards. They had some of the cards that needed additional scrutiny, maybe extra value or cards that had been known to have been counterfeited. You're going to give some of that stuff to your best graders. Uh, obviously, if you have a hundred of the same card and somebody's grading all hundred of them, you can go a lot faster and you probably don't have to be as expert. The very top grader certainly can do that. But when you're looking at a hundred cards the same, it's, it becomes easier to notice differences. You get a feel for that card. We weren't shortchanging. I, I speak for BGS in Back in the day, we weren't shortchanging any cards, but it's just that extra attention was given to some of the high dollar, high traffic cards that were known to be counterfeited. So faster grading and a grading quota is a relative term. Again, not wise to grade the graders based on how many cards without taking into account a lot of the other considerations of what cards, what vintage they're grading, as well as the fact that you, as a grader, you just have to pace yourself or you're going to burn out. It's a really tough job. The error quota. Okay, the error quota, the quota was not zero <laughs> because perfect is prohibitive, but you can have double checks and triple checks, and certainly some errors are more consequential than others. Uh, I don't necessarily consider it to be an error to be off by half point, unless it's a 9.5, and I, I give that uh, additional consideration because the value difference between 10 and 9.5 and 9 are so serious. And again, kudos to BGS for the report card. Very helpful in the audit trail to see how they got there. Now, BCCG that I've done an episode on, the error quota there, I just have to say, the BCCG allowed for a much different speed slash error trade-off. Speed was very important, and errors, again, just to be off by uh, a point there, was not as big a deal for the market that those cards were going into. I think trimming is problematic, obviously, but you've got the problem that some cards are, are factory cut short, and some trim cards can still fully measure because they were produced slightly uh, above their their tolerances. When I think about an error quota, and what I would have emphasized and did is that the zero tolerance for me is counterfeit. If a card is not a legit card, I want all those to be caught. I don't want a single one to get through. If a trimmed card gets through, that can fool the best of them because there are circumstances where I don't even know that it's detectable. 
I've heard talk about counterfeit slabs. I'm not saying that never happens, but it doesn't happen as much. There, there are different batches of slabs before they're formed. There are different, I know at least for BGS, there's two different kinds of labels, where if a label in the main label printer gets damaged or misplaced or somehow compromised, a duplicate replacement label can be produced and there could be some confusion. I've had cards that had the wrong label, but then the next card had the label for it and vice versa. And so those things can happen. Those are errors, but those are fixable errors and they're not malicious, but they still need to be fixed. I don't recommend paying graders by a quota of how many you get done unless you put a <laughs> a penalty on errors. If you got paid for how many cards you produced, but you took a big hit, if there was even one error of these kinds that I'm talking about, then that would be good. Another quota, if I were running things, I would have a backlog quota. I think a huge backlog is bad. Some backlog is good. It's good to have some cards that you're going to go to, but if, if the backlog gets above a certain point, that's bad, and it's bad right now. It's difficult to manage. It requires anticipation, but what happened, I think, is that what really exacerbated the problem is that all grading companies pre-COVID already had a pre-existing backlog. Then when they got shut down for a few weeks and then submissions further increased, it was just a recipe for a, a perfect storm and they've had trouble getting back. Lastly, bench strength quota. I think that's something I considered. I'm not sure that others did at the same time, but we had situations where if we did get behind, this is in the early days, we'd be able to go get some guys out of our uh, price guide group to come in and pitch in. So we had some bench strength, we had a surplus, and many times, and you've heard from some of the people on this podcast, we hired people that we'd interviewed like a year before. So we had people ready to go in our pipeline. We had an employee bench strength pipeline. So we had the ability to quickly fill positions and BGS is looking to hire some people. So is PSA and, and so are the others that have the big backlogs. BGS looking, they talked about nine qualities of what kind of a person they want to maintain quality of the brand. That was number one. It's number one in my mind too. I want somebody that's accurate, somebody that hates to make mistakes. Number two, individual goals. To me, somebody needs to have goals to go fast because you just can't go slow. You got to be accurate. You can't make mistakes, but you've also got to fast. It's a business. Number three, direct card experience. To me, that means they touch the cards. They didn't read about cards. Number four, firsthand knowledge. And now that could be from a book. It could be from images. Ideally, it's from cards themselves. Number five, problem solving skills. Notice it doesn't say problem identification skills. There's a lot of people out there that are good at identifying the problem, but I always wanted people to knock on my door and say, hey, I identified a problem and here I've identified a potential solution. What do you think? Okay, that's what I want. I want uh, people on my team that are willing to make the call, that are decisive, that solve the problems, not just identify the problems. Number six was organizational skills. You can imagine, <laughs> well, what happened to that card? Where's that card? It's somewhere on my desk. No, you've got to have good organizational skills when you're dealing with items that are worth uh, thousands of dollars. Number seven was positive team and constantly learning, being teachable, not too proud to ask for help, willing to share knowledge. And because of that, the one I know the best has esprit de corps. Uh, there's a shared struggle. We're all in this together. We've got a big backlog. We're going to tackle it. We're going to help each other. And I, I love that. And I miss that. I miss not being part of the team. Number eight was a detail-oriented and ability to focus for a long period of time. That should be moved up probably to number two, because you know, unless you're detail-oriented, you're not going to be able to grade. And unless you can hang in there and stare at cards for eight hours at a time, you're going to burn out. Then number nine, finally, was grading experience. They didn't make this point, but I would. Grading experience is not just professional grading experience. It's amateur grading experience. What experience have you had grading cards? 
So not required, but helpful. At any rate, there's a lot of a lot that people don't understand about grading. It's a small fraternity. All these grading companies have been scrambling this year, and I hope they're not compromising their accuracy. Uh, they've raised prices, but even so, there's still turnaround times that are unacceptable. And uh, so people think maybe they should just charge more or they should uh, get less cards in because they should bar people from submitting cheaper cards. But I don't think that's the problem. If people want to pay 12 bucks a card to get something graded, they ought to get it graded. And the grading company shouldn't reject it. In fact, those base cards that are cheaper, they, they probably take less time to get graded anyway. Could be your favorite card. Could be a base card of somebody. You just want to get it slabbed. And it, that you don't care if it's economic or not. You just want to get it slabbed. You send it in and hopefully they would do that. And I don't think the grading companies want to chill the submission of legit cards, but they can't lower the price too much. In fact, they're raising the price, but if they lower the price, it's just going to encourage the submission of those cheaper cards. You can't raise the price of grading just cheaper cards because that doesn't make any sense. People aren't going to understand that. But I have a couple ideas here. One is that I'd like to see BGS, PSA, and SGC cut through their backlog based on the value of the cards that, that they have. If you're in the pipeline, if two orders came in the exact same day, the same level of service, and one of them's got interesting cards and the other has low-value, boring base cards, my tiebreaker is let's get the interesting order out first. And then finally, a sports card insight for myself, the final quota is that my quota of my BGS submissions, I'm realizing my BGS submissions are too large. I've been typically submitting once a year with a big order. And in the process of doing this, I think it's better for me to submit smaller orders to quota myself because if there's any holdup, it could hold up my whole order. I'm going to start breaking my orders into smaller, similar groups based on difficulty to be graded. So again, just my thoughts on grading quotas. So thank you.